AMSA partner, Becker Professional Education, provides exclusive pricing to AMSA members for USMLE review preparation. Save up to 25% off their live online and live review programs along with their guided learning resources and extensive question bank. Visit becker.com slash AMSA for more details. You come in in the morning and the chief resident tells you, um, you know, all the surgeries have been canceled for today. You have to go ahead and go home. You have the day off. What would you do? Welcome to the AMSA AdLib Podcast, where you'll hear from med students and experts alike. I'm your host, Christine Camizio. We'll hear more on that question in a bit. As residency interview season approaches and you begin to prep and anticipate the tough questions ahead, stepping into the shoes of the program will help you navigate your responses. So today, we turn the tables a bit by speaking with Dr. Tom Quivola. Uh, my name is Tom Quivola. I am the Orthopedic Surgery Residency Program Director at the Cleveland Clinic. I've been a program director here for 17 years, and I was previously the program director in the Air Force Orthopedic Surgery Program in San Antonio, Texas for a short period. We asked Dr. Quivola a series of tough, or perhaps seemingly simple, residency interview questions. We get inside the program director headspace a bit by seeing how he'd answer them and what Dr. Quivola or his colleagues may be looking for in asking certain questions. All right, so the first question, why do you want to come to our program or why do you want to move to that city even? That is a question that we often ask, you know, why the Cleveland Clinic? And the, I think the appropriate response to any of the why here is not because it's sunny or not because the weather is good or the weather is bad. I think applicants to a residency program should always emphasize what it is about the academic curriculum or academic opportunities at a particular program that is going to enhance them becoming a better physician. People who are applying to programs and limit themselves regionally, and then when someone says, why do you want to come to Cleveland? And they say, my family lives around here, um, except in extenuating circumstances when perhaps someone in the family is ill or something like that. I, I really don't think that's a good reason to want to come to a certain place is just based on the region and the fact that uh, it's familiar to you. Uh, first off, a residency is time limited and you can always go back to your hometown at some point. And I think that people who are overly focused on a geographic area give the sense that they aren't multidimensional and aren't ready for a challenge and that sort of thing. So I think emphasizing the reason you want to come to a particular place is because you're getting good training. Um, you know, the hospital is well known. Uh, the patient population is broad and diverse. The particulars about the program, maybe in places they rotate or particulars in terms of certain attendings. I mean, those are the things that I think should be what people focus on as to why they want to come to a certain location. And this next one, um, you know, it always always plays a bit of a mind trick, but what about what do you do for fun? Is there something in particular that program directors are looking for, or are they just trying to get to know somebody better? Yeah, I usually don't. I, I usually don't try to 
catch somebody on a question like that. Um, I think when people have something interesting that they do, and if they do it a lot, that's the sort of thing to highlight. If someone is asked, what do they do for fun? And they say, I love to read. And then you follow that up with what was the last book you read? Last book you read? And they say, well, I actually haven't been reading for the last year. I haven't been reading for the last <laughs> nine months. That, that certainly will trip people up. Um, the, a question like that is really an opportunity for the resident to um, expand on something in their application that might be one line. It might say, you know, interests. I like to mountain bike or I like to play the violin or I like to cook. When someone asks you, what do you do for fun? I think those, you know, you should pick from something on that list and be able to expound on it and tell them, you know, why you're such a great gourmet cook or uh, how many hundreds of miles a month you do on your mountain bike and, or things like that. I think the, the worst thing to do is to have something on your application that's barely a passing interest. If you say you have an interest in something, uh, you should almost be a, a bit of a content expert on it. For example, <laughs> if somebody says they love to bike and then somebody follows it up with, oh, what kind of bike do you have? And they stumble over themselves. That's uh, that's not a good sign. <laughs> Definitely. How about um, tell me about a time when you made a choice that ended in a bad result or maybe like uh, something that didn't work out the way you wanted it to work out? Yeah, I think, I mean, everybody has successes and failures in their life. Uh, and I don't think when people ask that question, they necessarily are focusing on something that you did as a medical student in the hospital. It could be uh, a decision that you made relative to where to apply to medical school or college or, um, I mean, it doesn't have to be something dramatic and earth-shaking. I should never have had too much to drink on this night because I ended up in, <laughs> ended up in jail. Um, it should be, uh, I think that's something that people should think about ahead of time, and hopefully if they listen to this podcast, they will, and have something where they can answer it that has, a, that has sort of a good teaching point to it and something that they learned, and perhaps they can then expound on that and Tell the, tell the story of how when this choice came up again, they chose A rather than B or, or something like that. Um, have you ever asked applicants what makes them a better applicant than another or than other applicants? That's not one of my favorite questions, but I, but I have heard people ask that. And I perhaps have asked them what, you know, what distinguishes you from somebody else? Certainly in the field of orthopedic surgery, uh, there are, well, we have a lot of very high caliber applicants relative to academic achievement. And so asking them that question in terms of them trying to tease out what it is about them that makes them either better because they might be more empathetic about something or somebody, or they might have better uh, psychomotor skills because in the previous life they were a concert pianist or a, uh, a woodworker or something like that. Um, I think that's, while, while it's not one of my favorite questions to ask, it certainly is a question that the applicant should be ready for. And I think it's important to, uh, I mean, this is the applicant's opportunity to 
sort of elevate their application or their status. Yet at the same time, it's important not to be come across as uh, a little bit, a little you know, a braggart about things. <laughs> and you, every everybody that comes through our door on interview day is someone that presumably is well qualified to be a resident in our program. So if if they try to distinguish themselves too much, that comes across as, like I said, a little bit haughty. Have you uh, have you spoken with anyone over the years that their response to something like that really stood out to you? Um, sometimes people come in uh, wanting to do orthopedic surgery and they've already defined what they want to do after residency. They know what subspecialty they're going to be involved in. And there have been a couple of people who have been focused on, say, becoming a hand surgeon since the age of 10 because they had a friend whose three fingers were blown off by a firecracker or someone who wants to be a musculoskeletal oncologist because one of their friends in high school had an osteosarcoma. Um, When people have sort of this lifelong commitment, not lifelong, but I mean, it's from a very early age that really focused on one thing. I, I think that shows, you know, somebody that's really sort of dedicated to the cause, somebody that's really uh, able to stay focused on a goal for a long, long time. Now, it, it may come to pass that they hate hand surgery once they actually get involved in it or musculoskeletal oncology, and that's fine. But the <laughs> fact that they have been so focused on one thing for so long, I think is... Uh, Uh, laudable. You know, you have some people there that do have this one specialty that they're really interested in. What about um, what would you do if you didn't match into your first choice specialty? All the time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, not all the time, but especially if somebody, if you, if you look at their application and you think, you know, we are interviewing them perhaps because they did a rotation here. But as you look at the rest of their application, you think, you know what, they may not get that many interviews or they may not match in orthopedic surgery. So I always ask them what plan B is. And I think it is better early on, if it's their first go around, I think it's important um, that they, they don't just give up after one shot. I think of an appropriate answer might be, well, I'm going to do something next year that enhances my application. If my application is weak in this area, I'm going to try to bolster it here. If it's weak here, I'm going to bolster it there. And most commonly, uh, people who are unsuccessful matching in orthopedic surgery for the first time will do a uh, a year where they get to do some get to do some uh, work in the lab or in clinical outcomes, uh, do some papers, that sort of thing. Um, so I, I think the first go around is I'm going to try again. And the second go around might, if you're interviewing for the second time and they say, what if you don't match this time? Um, at that point you can either say, well, I'm, I'm going to investigate this field. Or again, you can say, I'm going to give it one more shot. If I, if I don't match after my third attempt, then I'm going to look into going into another specialty and they'll say, well, why is that your second choice? And you know, they can, whatever whatever the reason for that mm-hmm. is, um, say someone wants to be a general surgeon and they, or rather an orthopedic surgeon, and they don't get in, well, maybe 
they still want to be able to do some orthopedic surgery, so they go into plastic surgery with the idea of subsequently subspecializing in hand surgery, which is where orthopedics and plastics overlap. Mm -hmm. So something like that. But I think the first, I think the first time, uh, it's important not to throw in the towel, uh, so to speak, because if you say, well. I'm going to do something else right off the bat. People are going to say, well, you must not like orthopedics that much. Right. What about, I mean, hopefully in an ideal world, um, applicants would not be asked these type of questions. But what about if an applicant is asked something that is not in the interviewer bounds? Like, for example, asking about where they've ranked their program or whatnot. How can an applicant respond to that appropriately in the moment? Uh, that's a very good question because there are people out there that do ask inappropriate questions, whether it's of a personal nature, about a medical condition, um, you know, about some social aspect, or, or something as simple as, um, I mean, if they ask something like, where do you plan to rank us? Uh, you never want to tell somebody, you never, never want, first off, you never want to lie to somebody. You never want to say, I'm going to rank you number one. Uh, because if you don't rank them, if they rank you number one and you subsequently don't rank them number one, um, that that uh, that burns that kind of burns a bridge, so to speak, in in, in some programs in terms of those people knowing that you're not up upfront. I think if somebody were to ask me where do you plan on um, ranking us. I would say that I am very interested in your program. I have not made my uh, final rank decisions. I, I hope today uh, will, will, will help me come to that final conclusion. I like what I see at your program. I mean, you can be very positive and very upbeat about a program uh, without actually showing them the cards. Mm -hmm. Um, and then when it comes to asking questions of a personal nature, we had a, um, um, a resident who was asked by someone elsewhere uh, about a gap in the, uh, about a gap in the resume in terms of what happened between the second and third year of college. And it, it was a medical issue and the applicant did not feel comfortable talking about that. Uh, nor, you know, didn't have any bearing on the current day, and yet the interviewer, interviewer pushed this particular applicant and um, made, made the applicant feel quite uncomfortable. And when I heard about it, I, I, I talked to our director of medical education, and uh, he then contacted this individual and, and uh, told him this was really out of bounds. And Interestingly, this person subsequently matched in that particular program, um, whether it was uh, worried that they had stepped out of bounds like that or what, but uh, it, it, really sh it really shouldn't happen. And I don't think that applicant necessarily should have given that information at all. They should have said something to the order of, um, it's it was an issue that is no longer you know no longer germane and kind of kind of shut them down um, mm -hmm. 
you know, it, it's just there. Like I said, there are certain questions that are just uh, inappropriate, and out of bounds, and if, if there's something on your something about you that that you think someone might push you on, have something, have a have a phrase ready to. Uh, gently deflate them and let them know that this is not something that you're going to talk about. And then, and then, um, uh, if it's something particularly egregious, that person, uh, you probably should let someone know that they asked you that question. Not only from the standpoint of you being uh, discriminated against based on something that's uh, inappropriately asked, but also as a as an educational point. Maybe this person doesn't know the rules and they need to be made aware of them. It doesn't necessarily have to be in a punitive way, but it has to be in a way that uh, they're educated, that they don't ask those kind of questions. You had touched throughout the interview that about your favorite questions. Uh, would you mind sharing maybe what are your top three favorite questions to be asking applicants? Uh, we interview, we have, we have, uh, typically six or so people asking every year um, or, or interviewing every year. And these aren't necessarily my questions, but questions that certain people always ask. <laughs> and, um, it, you know, if they come from uh, a city known for its cuisine, uh, I particularly always ask them about, you know, where their favorite restaurants are. <laughs> um, I typically ask people what's, what's the, uh, what's the last book or last movie that they saw. And there are no right answers. These are more ways to get to know the applicant and just sometimes just breaking the ice a little bit because some people come in and they're very um, uptight, for lack mm -hmm. of a better term. <laughs> and so fa favorite restaurants, favorite books, last movie that they saw. Um, of course, ex you know, ex having them expound on a hobby that's listed on their CV. Um, one of my, one of my partners routinely asks, what would be your last meal? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and we're always disappointed when someone says Domino's pizza, uh, not, not that there's anything wrong with Domino's pizza, but I mean, I mean, th that is just a way it's, it's a, it's a question you're never expected. And yet it makes, makes people start to think about, you know, what are the things, you know, what are the foods that I really like and, and that sort of thing. Um, we sometimes say uh, cat person or dog person. Again, no right answer. Uh, often ask people what's on their what's on their iPod or phone. You know what 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 are their what are the tunes that they're listening to? Um, and the hypothetical: you come in in the morning and the chief resident tells you, um, you know, all the surgeries have been canceled for today. You have go ahead and go home. You have the day off. What would you do? And hopefully people won't just say, hey, go home and sleep. And, <laughs> and, and for that matter, not necessarily just go home and read all day. But, you know, what, are the, what would you do on a uh, uh, sunny August day in Cleveland if you suddenly found that in the middle of the week you had no clinical responsibilities? So those are some of the, some of the things that we like to ask. Yeah, those are great. Those are fun questions. Do you have anything, uh, parting words of wisdom? I guess when it comes to interviews, uh, prepare, know, know the people that you're going to be interviewing with. If you have an opportunity to know ahead of time, uh, at least know something about the program director, know something about the 
uh, chair, the chair of the department, uh, know something about the city, know something about the hospital, don't just appear at the Cleveland Clinic with uh, no preparation. Uh, I, I think it, it, if you have good questions to ask about the facility, if you know something about the curriculum of the residency and you're able to uh, you know, ask some appropriate questions like that, I think that's a, uh, uh, I think that's a good thing. I think that the most commonly asked question I get from a resident uh, at the end of the interview is, do you foresee any changes coming in the program? Um, and that's a terrible question. <laughs> <laughs> because it's, 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 I don't know, it's so trite. And all residency programs are hopefully in a, in a dynamic, constant flux of, uh, you, you know, quality improvement and you're, you're changing things to make things better. So there are always going to be changes. I, I guess if I was going to ask a question about how do you foresee things changing, I, I try to be a little bit more specific, something like, you know, with changes in the Affordable Care Act, do you see the Cleveland Clinic's population changing or, you know, that kind of thing. So I think it's good to have a, a couple of questions that you can ask the interview that interviewer that seem to be truly focused on the institution and not just a a broad generality like, you know, uh, do you foresee any changes in the program? The other thing is, you know, it's hard to say just relax because um, it can be it can be a stressful, a, a, a stressful time interviewing. So doing some practice interviews with friends and family, um, having some responses sort of choreographed, not in such a way that it sounds totally rehearsed, but know the, know the questions that they're, they're going to ask and have decent responses ready. Um, and then the obvious things when you appear, uh, firm handshake, good eye contact, uh, stay focused on what they're saying, don't look over the person's shoulder, be looking at the scenery. Uh, the things that any job site will tell you are important. AMSA AdLib is brought to you by the American Medical Student Association. I'm your host and the producer of today's episode, Christine Camizio. Joshua Caulfield is the show's executive producer, and Dr. Joey Johnson is AMSA's national president. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and thank you for listening. AMSA partner, Becker Professional Education, provides exclusive pricing to AMSA members for USMLE review preparation. Save up to 25% off their live online and live review programs along with their guided learning resources and extensive question bank. Visit becker.com slash AMSA for more details.